the easiest stuff to find. So Genesis chapter 1 here in just a moment. And, uh, you know, if you don't know your Bible well, you don't have to be embarrassed by your neighbor this morning. Genesis 1, everybody knows where that is. So I'm going to start up some Bible drills here, make sure everybody knows their Bible well. Genesis 1, quick. All right. Anybody do, anybody do Bible drills back in the day? Yeah, Aaron, good man. Yeah, Sherilyn, all right. Yeah, Mom, you too? Yeah, back in the day? Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, never mind. I won't say that. Yeah, but very good. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Oh boy, okay. So Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be talking about marriage in particular all this month of, of June. And uh, I tell you what, I'm, I'm really passionate about, it is June, isn't it? I didn't say that wrong, right? Okay, yeah, it is June. I'm lost, I tell you what. Boy, it's been busy. We've been doing so much VBS stuff, I can hardly think anymore. I don't know if anyone else feels that way, but yeah, I'm having like trouble putting sentences together. I'm remembering, you know, which prepositions to use in English, it's hard. Um, if you, uh, but I tell you what, this is something I'm really, really passionate about, about, about marriage, um, and it's because, just really quite honestly, Brent and I have struggled in our marriage. We had about, um, we were really smart, we were really quick, there was, uh, there was a very short time frame of about seven years that we struggled with our marriage, that was a joke, it was a seven long years, you know how it can be, you have a marriage trouble, it just seems like decades, right? Um, when, when you're having difficulty. And uh, there are several of you who have known us well, and you can testify. That was a rough seven years, right, Sherilyn? Yeah, <laughs> that was a rough seven years. Very difficult. And when I, when I talk about it today, you know, I, I've got, I, I think I tell everybody, I've got the best marriage of anybody I know, better than yours for sure. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's not a competition, although I would win. Um, but uh, I, I, but, the, it, the, the, but uh, I really, we really struggled. And, and when I say that, I don't put that lightly. Um, there was a time frame when re- I really wasn't sure if Brent and I were going to make it. And, and I think about what would have happened. You know, we just sang this morning. You guys were just testifying, our God saves. And you sang it over and over again. It was like a minute, right? He, he saves. He's a redeeming God. Amen? Uh, he saves. He heals. Um, and he healed and he saved uh, our marriage. And he transformed me as a terrible husband to uh, one that's somewhat mediocre today. Um, no, to a much better one today. And really, uh, and to change my focus about really about what I thought was marriage was supposed to be about me. My marriage was supposed to be about me to what I understand it is today. So, man, I'm passionate about this. And, and I, I want to start this way by saying this. I don't care where you are in your marriage. Okay, I do care. Let me put it in another way. It doesn't matter where you're at in your marriage. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now today in your marriage. And for, for those of you who are here who have um, children or, or family members who are struggling in their marriage, it doesn't matter where they are today. There is hope for believers who are struggling in their marriage. Amen? We have a God who saves. And it's not just like he's going to save your soul and then everything else is up to you to figure out. No, it's not like that. He wants to save and redeem and heal all areas of your life because all the areas of your life have been broken by the fall. By your, all the areas of your life have been broken by sin, right? Have been broken by our selfishness, have been broken by what was lost with Adam and Eve in the garden. And the salvation that God offers is the salvation of your whole life, amen? And all of creation as well. It's just incredible. The, the, the scope of the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ is all-encompassing. There is nothing in all creation that will not be redeemed and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We, we think about it, you know, we're good Southern Baptists here, and we, we focus a lot on salvation of souls. But listen, it's not just about that. Jesus died not just to give you a ticket into heaven. Jesus died to redeem your life, amen? All of it, to redeem it all 
to fix what was broken and what, it, what was lost in the fall. We're going to be talking about this week, that, about that this week a little bit. Next week, we're going to hit it hard. Listen, I want you to be here next week. Next week's message, I am pumped about. Today's good too. Don't, don't leave. Don't leave. Today's is good too, but next week I'm pumped. We're really going to be talking about the fall, and we're really going to be talking about the scope of Jesus' salvation and the redemption that happens through the cross and how that applies to your marriage. It's fantastic. I'm excited. I've been studying on this for months. It's going to be really, really good, uh, going to be really good stuff. So, but today what I wanted to talk about is how in your marriage and my marriage really is a reflection of the, of the, of, of the glory, the majesty of God. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And the reason I want to talk to you about this today is because it was this point, it was this, um, this truth that when Brent and I heard it, we fell, after seven years of really struggling in our marriage, we fell under deep conviction. And it's this uh, principle, I hate to use the word principle because people misapply principles of the scriptures all the time, it makes me sick. Um, uh, it's, it's this truth. There we go. That's better. It's this truth, right? Someone will say, here's this principle in Scripture. Uh, let me just take this aside real quick. It won't take long, I promise. This is free. Um, people will take a, a truth in Scripture and say, if you use this, this always works. You can tie God's hands behind his back and force him to do what you want if you'll do these simple three steps, right? That's wrong. That, that's totally inaccurate. The, the scriptures never work that way, right? It, it, that's never true. It, it's like saying that, you know, if I, if, I, if I do these things for my wife, if I call her three times a day and I send her flowers and chocolate on Valentine's Day, she's always going to make my favorite meal for dinner. That doesn't work either, does it? No, no, but, but, but there are truths in the Scripture, and, and, and the question is, do they apply at every point in time? Uh, they're always true, but are they always, do they apply to every situation, right? That's like saying, well, Jesus healed people, and so people are always healed. True or not true? Not true. People, right, because we ignore the places where God, where God allowed people to die and suffer, right? So does God always allow people to die and never heal? Uh, not true either. Why? The, the thing that people keep trying to take out of the perspective is God is a being. He has a will. He has a purpose. And um, we don't always understand it. True? Okay. I'm sorry. I, I could go on about that for a while, but I won't because today we're talking about marriage, not about how to apply scriptures to your life. But anyway, um, so anyway, take that and you ever hear about when people talk to start talking about applying this principle in your life and that there will be this automatic outcome you know where they're coming from. They have no idea what they're talking about. Okay, so Genesis chapter 1. Now they probably have some good stuff. It's just knowing how to apply it very well. I need to be a little more careful than I'm being this morning. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I'll do better. So I need, to, I need the other elders to come alongside. Now, David, you're going to have to slow down here a little bit and think about what you're saying. Okay, Genesis chapter 1, please. You've all found it by now, right? I've given you about five minutes. Everybody got Genesis 1? Okay, good job. All right, now that we're all together, Genesis chapter 1. So, so the reason we're in Genesis is that every time when Jesus was asked, when Paul was talking about the relationships between husband and wives, both Jesus and the Apostle Paul refer back to Genesis 1, 2, or 3 to talk about marriage. What we find is, is that to understand marriage and the relationship between men and women and relationships between husband and wife, there's a lot of focus on the old, in the New Testament on understanding correctly what Genesis 1, 2, and 3 has to say about men and women and marriage. It's really incredible that in this, these first three chapters of the Scripture, we can understand so much about the relationship between men and women, about gender, about marriage, and all that stuff. Uh, but boy, that's how Jesus did it. That's how Paul did it. So I don't think we could do any better than to understand marriage well than to follow what they did and go back to Genesis from the very beginning when it talks about how God established men and women and marriage. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 
So here we have, in, in, the, in the movement of the Scriptures in Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation. We talked about this a little bit last week, but we have God forming on the first three days of creation and then filling on the next three days of creation. And then on, on the sixth day, right, in, part of the filling is he, he creates Adam in, on the sixth day, right? So, so here we go in Genesis chapter, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, this is important, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's some really interesting things happening in the Hebrew there that's uh, kind, of, kind, of, kind of somewhat well captured in English, not always. But anyway, so a couple of things. A couple of things to point out to you here. The first thing is that the creation of man is distinctly different than any other creature in, in, in all the planet. There's no other creature that God says in all of creation that he's created in his image. But man in particular would somehow bear God's image or his thumbprint in some way that no one, none of the other creatures of the earth would. We are God's special creation. And by putting his image on us or creating us in his image, it means that man bears the image of God in some way that no other creature on earth does. Now, man, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you study mold or if you look at birds or if you're interested in butterflies and grasshoppers. The way they work, the way they function, the creation of them all, fantastic, marvelous, right? And if you don't think so, it because, it's because you haven't studied it enough. You just don't know, right? The, 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 the incredibleness of what happens. Let me give you a real quick example. Um, butterflies, the monarch butterfly, let's say. The monarch butterfly, right, has a very short lifespan. I can't remember what it is. I think it's about 28 days, 30 days, something like that. The monarch butterfly, though, uh, uh, right, they, they travel. They're like migratory birds, except they're insects with wings, right? So, so they're not like birds, but they kind of are. They have wings like birds, but otherwise not. So they, but they, they, they traverse up from Mexico and, and from, from South America, and they travel up to the United States, and they live about 30 days. For some reason, they travel back, there, right? They migrate back to Mexico. Part of their migration is across, for a good, good part of those, that population is across the Gulf of Mexico. I don't know if you've ever seen those butterflies fly. They're not very fast. Remember, they're insects. They're not birds. They're not as fast as a lot of birds. For some reason, the lifespan of the migrating butterflies as they travel across the Gulf of Mexico, they can't make it in the lifespan of an, of an ordinary butterfly. That, for some reason, that particular generation lives twice as long as any of the others. Why? No one knows. It's a mystery of creation. No one knows why that, that particular generation of butterfly lives for like 60 days as opposed to 30. This is all um, um, kind of subject to my memory, which is terrible, by the way. But it's something like that where they live longer, right? And so you could look at the migrations of any kinds of birds. It's really pretty fascinating stuff. But, um, and so it's marvelous. It's awesome, isn't it? Why does this happen? Why does that generation last longer? Why is it that they cross the Gulf of Mexico and they last longer than the other species when they have less to eat? They're traveling further. They're going further along. Why is it that they last so much longer? No one really knows. It's the mystery of creation. Well, that's pretty cool. That's pretty incredible. But you and I, unlike them, bear the image of God. Even more special, even more specifically, very, very special in bearing the image of God. And in some ways and somehow, um, we are unique in all of creation, that we are distinct and different than all creation in some ways, much more special because we bear the image of our creator. Now, the next question is, how is it that we bear the image of our creator? 
Um, does he have five fingers and five toes? Uh, is it, you know, what is it? Um, there's a lot of discussion. You can read a lot of books, and, and the implications of this are probably far more, more reaching than we ever realize. For example, maybe in some ways, right, so, so you desire good things for your children, right? We all do. We want to see good things happen to our children. Sounds a lot like God, doesn't it? Um, God likes good things for us, and maybe in that way as parents, we, we demonstrate the image, we represent God in, in those ways, right? Um, maybe, as, um, maybe in terms of, of men and women that, that, that we, we live for, we were just talking actually last night, Sherilyn was talking, or two nights ago, we were talking about people are created with a desire for purpose in their lives. Well, that sounds a lot like God. He, you know, he's a God of purpose, a God of calling. Um, the, the, you know, in, in that way, do we bear the image of God? Um, the desire to create, the desire to invent, well, that's a lot like God, and maybe in that way, we're, we're like the image of God. Listen, the, the implications of us being created in the image of God are, are just absolutely limitless. The, the reason we like to explore, the, the reason that we like to create, all very much like our Creator in, in the ways that people like to explore and investigate and study mathematics and science and English and create poetry and all this very much like our creator. But we're, what we're going to be talking about today is specifically in gender. There's something very special about men and women, about, about God creating mankind with uh, two flavors, right, with male and female, um, that is something very special about us being created in the image of God. So look with me again in uh, Genesis 1 verse 26. Let us make man in our image, um, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the, of the air, birds of the sea, all the creatures move along the ground, etc. So look with me in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's not so subtle a change, is it, where he's talking about creating man, and then he switches and says, in male and female, he created them, where he's saying that men and women are both created in the image of God. Okay, so, man, we could, I could talk about this a long time, but here's, here's what I want to say is, that, is this, is that what we see, you know, it's funny in the scriptures, you see God describes sometimes as a man, and he's described as, well, you tell me, how do you see maybe God described in the scriptures in kind of a masculine sense? Well, how is God described in a masculine sense in the scriptures? For traits that we think of kind of as, as in, in, in being kind of a masculine kind of, kind of a thing. Yeah, mighty warrior, right? We, we tend to think of that in terms of being a masculine trait, being like a warrior. What else? A father, yes, very specific there, isn't it? Yeah, he's a father, that's right. Yeah. What else? Strong, right? Protective. I'm sorry. A prince, a king, right, described as, as very, being very, very masculine in, that, in those senses and very masculine, right, very, very male-like for what we think of today. What else? A leader, yeah, right? A defender, right, courageous. He's defender of the fatherless and the widows, right? What else? Being a rock, a fortress, that, that idea of security, you know, that idea that, of security that's so important for, for so many women. I know it is for Brenda, for me to, to be strong and, and to be a, a uh, um, try to be emotionally stable and, and secure and make her feel protected physically also by this incredible physique. Mm-hmm. What? Just kidding. What else? Kindness and love. Well, let's talk about kindness and love. And all of that wrapped together, right? All wrapped in. It's not like... It's not like um, it's not like God des- like God describes Himself as a reckless warrior, 
right? He's, 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 a, recla- he's a warrior on defense of someone, right? Uh, in, in a loving way, all of that wrapped up in love and concern um, for his people, right? Tell me, though, the Scripture doesn't just describe God in terms of masculine terms. It is Sometimes it talks about God being uh, almost like a mother or maybe specifically like a mother. You remember any of those? Remember any, any places where you see where God's described as, as a, or his actions or his feelings toward his people as being like uh, in, in kind of a feminine sense? Yes, sir. That's right. Yeah, this is repeated actually a couple of times, right? First, it's in Isaiah, if I remember right. And then also Jesus quotes it about Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, as he wept over Jerusalem. How I'd like to gather you as a hen gathers her brood. Yeah, isn't that great? So in that, in that way, that care and the concern and that loving, nurturing, mothering, protecting kind of way, God's describing himself like a mother feeling um, that way toward, toward his people in Jerusalem. Yeah, and, and, and many other places too. So, so basically, I guess the point is, is that we see both in masculinity and femininity, and I practiced that word a lot yesterday trying to make sure I had it down, um, <laughs> that I didn't blow that today. Um, in masculinity and femininity, what we see is the image of God portrayed, right? So when a man is strong and he's courageous and he's a leader for his family, he's demonstrating the mark of the father, of his creator on him. When a woman is nurturing and caring for her children, when, you know, I always say, um, uh, you know, as I grow up, I kind of recognize things that are, that are happening in life, but, you know, you have typically, you have, a, you know, uh, you, you have some parents who grow older and they end up needing care. Who is it typically that cares for mom and dad? Sometimes the son, most often the daughters. So if you haven't had daughters, you know, one day you're probably going to be on the luck, right? Because, because the women are a much more nurturing and caring people. No, that's not true. Sometimes, sometimes the, the men do kind of step in that role. We're just, just, sometimes we're just not as good at it, or maybe, maybe all the time. But anyway, uh, so anyway, so, anyway, so the, the next slide there, Jason. So men and women are equal in their importance. Both reflect God's character. You know what we see throughout all the Scripture um, is, that, is that really is that both men and women receive the gifts of God and the Holy Spirit. They, 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 are, they are both equal in their, in their importance and in their portrayal of the image of God, and, and both of them are, are, are both equally important and it, because it says here, male and female, he created them in his image. So you see that, 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 you know, the compassion and the beauty and the nurture and the love and the care and the mystery of women and of, of femininity is part of the reflection of, of the maker in, 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 the, in our ladies. In masculinity, you know, the strength, that, that picture of strength, of leadership, of courage, of protection, all those things that we think of really of being kind of a masculine, masculine traits are reflected in our men, and they're, they're evidence that we were created by a, by a God whose image we reflect. Amen? And listen, and when you do those things, they're honoring and pleasing to God to see. God loves defense of the, of the widows and the orphans. He loves that. He loves the fact that, 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 that men bring justice to people for whom justice is needed. You know what I'm saying? Um, he loves the fact that women care for and nurture their children. That's a, that's a mark of God. And when we do that, when we recognize that's from him, that is honoring and pleasing to him. You remember last week we talked about in our lives sometimes we set up this kind of sacred and secular divide where there's this part of my life that's my ministry and my church and then there's every area of my life. And how I told you last week, that's a myth. There is no such thing. It's all sacred. It's all about God. What you do at your work in creating and developing and, and, uh, and working hard and, and those things, that's honoring to God when you do those things with, with that being in mind to say, you know, this is, this is kind of like I'm reflecting the image of my creator. He loves this kind of stuff. He likes math. 
He likes calculus too. No one likes calculus too. Somebody, I don't know. Somebody does. I don't know who that is. Yeah, anyway. He loves it all. He likes accountants. He loves, he loves the accounting. He loves the creation. He loves construction. He, he likes it all. It's all his. Amen? It's all his, and every part of our lives is. And, um, and <clears throat> so here we go. So, but, the, but the thing and the point that I want to get across to you today, that, that point about, about gender being in, cre- in, the, in the creation or, or the uh, evidence of the image of God, is this, is that in all of creation, marriage may be the fullest extent or the fullest expression of the image of God. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. There's something specific, there's something very different about marriage than anything else in all creation except for maybe the church. And here's, here's what I'm trying to say. There are ways, there are many ways in which marriage reflects our God, unlike any other institution on the planet. Right? The, marriage is very unique in, in the way that it represents or reflects the image of God. And your, your marriage, in fact, reflects the image of God. Let me tell you just real quickly how and why. One is, is that we understand God in, right, in, in, in these days, or for the last, I don't know, about 2,000 years. We understand the, the God as being three persons in one, right? We understand Him to be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And, um, and, and Christianity's come a long ways in the first 300 years of its existence trying to understand the mystery of that, and we fully don't comprehend it today. But what we do know is that in the Scriptures, they're des- described distinct people within the Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're distinct people, but there is an incredible unity and an incredible harmony between them. This is like marriage, or marriage is like the Trinity, Right? where you have two distinct people, a, a husband and a wife, right, who are very distinct people. But the Bible, and I'm going to, oh, you know what? I think I've already forgotten to read something. No, not yet. I'm okay. Um, the Bible's going to describe marriage and to say that these two have become, what, one. And they, he's going to describe for us here, and, and God's going to describe for us here in Genesis, um, a, a combining where there's distinct people, but there's a uniting of them where they're like one person or like one flesh is how it's going to be described for us here. So in this deal where there are distinctions in the people, but there's harmony and unity in relationships, that's a reflection of the image of God in your marriage and in your life. There is an equality and importance of person, right? Um, right? Uh, Brenda has a role in her home and a role in raising our children. I have a role in our home and a role in raising our children. And when we function well within our, within our roles, our home works and functions well, right? When we don't, not so much. But there's also a difference in our roles and a difference in authority in our, in, in, in our home. And we're going to talk about that a lot more next week. But, but suffice it to say this week is that, you know, men and women are different, right? Is it okay to say that? Yeah, listen, it better be because we'll never be the same. We will never be the same. Matter of fact, all you got to do, matter of fact, here, so, so in, in our house, there's always a little difference of opinion about everything. You know, I'm very kind of OCD about things. My wife has come a long ways to, to being a little closer to like what I am, and I've relaxed a little bit in the last 20 years. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, but we're, we're different in, in many ways, but, but, but the difference is not a bad thing. It's good for us to have differences. It's good to have differences in the roles and responsibilities. Otherwise, this thing just wouldn't work. Um, your marriage reflects the image of God. There are different peoples, but there's a, you know, there's a, ni- there's a unitedness in, in purpose. There's a, there's a unitedness in, in, in an emotional sense, in a spiritual sense, in a physical sense. And in that way, your marriage reflects the image of God. Yeah. Now, here's the next part of that, is that when there's disunity and when there's disharmony, 
we're not reflecting the image of God well. Now, here's the deal. We as people, there are always going to be differences. There are always going to be um, differences of opinion. There's always, because we're weak, because we're fallen human flesh, we kind of always want our way, right? We want to we win the argument, all right, all the time, which is not, a, not necessarily a good thing. But, the, but, the, but in the end, the, the thing is this, is that, but in the end, what we want is we want to attain harmony and we want to attain, attain unity in our marriage. And here's the deal. What was broken in our home for seven years was we couldn't come to the point of, of developing harmony and unity. We were always trying to get out of it. So let me, let me tell you what my marriage was about much more. What I was feeling like, and tell me that you haven't felt this. Don't tell me you haven't felt this in your marriage. That I, was, I felt like I was putting everything into my marriage and my wife wasn't putting in anything. Funny thing is, if you talk to her during those times, she would say, I felt like I was putting everything into, into our marriage and that David wasn't putting in anything, right? That she was doing all the work. I felt like I was doing all the work and we were just kind of missing each other along the way. But in the end, what it, made me, what it made me feel like, which was not the truth, was that I felt like, well, I'm not getting my needs met. You know, this isn't going the way I need it to. Brenda's not doing the things for me that I need done. You know, she's not doing for me the things that I like. She's not, she's not keeping the house like I like. She's not treating me the way that I like. She's not doing these things. And Brenda was feeling right the same way. Well, that's when my marriage was all about me, right? Marriage that's all about me doesn't work very well. You discovered this yet? Listen, if you haven't, you will. <laughs> if you haven't, you will. The marriage that you're always the focus isn't going to work for you because marriage is about a union of two people into one. It's not just about one person. It's not just about you. It's not. It's about coming to unity and coming to harmony together. It's about putting the other person's needs first um, and, and so on. So anyway, we've we got to get going here. So in Genesis chapter 2, man, I'm taking way too much time on some of this. In Genesis chapter 2, let's read the account real quickly. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. Um, so what's happened here is that there's kind of a, there's kind of a retelling of Genesis chapter 1 in Genesis chapter 2. It's, it's uh, very interesting, maybe a little confusing sometimes, but anyway. Um, so he's created, God's created them all. In verse 15, he's created and he's put the man in the garden to work it and to take care of it. We, took, we talked about that last week, that idea about protecting and serving that was specifically given to men as their role and their responsibility to protect and to serve, right? Uh, very masculine stuff there. Verse 18. Then the Lord said, it is not good for the, for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he should name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Now, by the way, it's kind of the fulfillment of, um, of God allowing man to have the, uh, the authority over the earth. Right, the name, when you name something, especially in the Old Testament, when something is named, it's kind of a demonstration of ownership or authority over that thing. Um, it means that you decided what to call it, right? So it's kind of like having children, right? One of the reasons we name children is <laughs> we can as parents, right? Okay. No one else can do it, right? That, there are kids, right? Okay. No matter how bad your name is, it's from your... Okay. And then, uh, and the Lord commanded him... Okay, I missed it. Okay, verse 19. Now the Lord had formed everything out of the ground, the beasts of the field, all the fields of the birds of the air. He brought them into the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called of each living creature, that was his name. Okay, I'm caught up now. Verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed, and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man." 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Um, yeah, I think that's as far as I read there. Oh, although the next verse is interesting. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Okay, we'll talk about that another time. So today, uh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, called a woman, for she was taken out of a man. Okay, so what we have here is the account of the, of the, uh, of the creation of woman. And here, so we have Adam in existence before he was there. He was put into the garden to work and protect it, right? And then God said, but it's not good for man to be alone. Okay, there's a lot we could talk about there, but probably not a lot of time. For whatever reason, God kept saying he created, right? The, the, he formed in creation the first three days and, and filled in the next three days. And every time he finished, he said, this is good, this is good, this is good. But man was alone and he said, not good, right? Not good for man to be alone. Um, the first time that God says not good in the scripture is kind of interesting. Not good for man to be alone. He needed something else. He needed someone else. There's something not good about man being on his own. And I, I could go on about that, but today we don't have time for that really. I apologize. Um, but what you see here, what I want you to get here, especially um, in verse 23 and verses 23 and 24, listen to what it says. This is now bone of my bones. Listen to the unity that you have here. This is now bone of my bones. This, in other words, what he's saying is that we are from the same uh, being. We are some, from the same flesh. We are different from all the rest of creation. This woman, Eve and I, are from the same bone, from the same flesh. She shall be called woman, which sounds like the Hebrew word for man. She, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. And so these two in particular were, were sharing the same flesh together, okay, or, or, or came from the same flesh together. And verse 24, look with me. For this reason, a man, here, so here we have a leaving and a cleaving. So we're, here we have, uh, for this reason, a man will leave his father and, and mother and be what? United to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. Look with me over and over again about how you see the unity between man and woman or is supposed to be functioning, or, or is supposed to function. There is supposed to be a leaving of mom and dad and a uniting with a wife, and the two shall become one. Very much a reflection of the Trinity, right? Where there are distinct persons, but united in purpose, united together. Um, um, so, yeah. So, yeah, so I want to talk about this uniting and in, in this, in this together and about how this is supposed to work. When Brent and I were in the midst of our marriage troubles, we heard a message very similar to the one that I'm giving you today, although I can't remember the details very well. Um, but it was very similar to this. Let me tell you, we were living in a place where we were not united and we were not resolving our issues. They just lingered on and on. And if you let your problems linger for a, for a day or two or a time or two, matter of fact, Paul, in his, one of his letters, he's, is, he said, he says, when something comes up, right, you shouldn't, you should, you should resolve it. You, 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 you got to resolve your issues. You got to resolve them. Well, we had now seven years of unresolved issues. So by the end of this seven years, we had this mess, this, just this great big ball, this mess of hurt and misunderstanding and disharmony and disunity in our marriage, and we didn't know what to do. And we heard this message that said, in the unitedness of your marriage, you are honoring God. And we were both convicted to say, I'm not honoring God with my marriage because can't, we can't come to be united. We can't come to harmony in our marriage, and there's always disharmony. We always feel like we're walking on eggshells uh, um, around each other, and we can't resolve our issues. And we fell into really deep conviction. When it says is that you're supposed to honor God with your marriage, when we've got this idea that we're supposed to honor our God with our marriage, in being like the image of the Trinity, 
we fell down and we said, wait, we're not doing this. And we fell under incredible conviction. And so for after a period of years where I refused for us to go get help because I was too embarrassed with the problems that we were having, and I was uh, maybe too proud to admit to other people the problems that we were having, we finally sought out biblical counsel and got some help in our marriage. And over a period of about a year, we went, underwent some biblical counsel. At first it was every week, but then it was every month, and it was every several months or something like that. Uh, but after a year, um, God just really used the previous pastor here at Calvary and his wife to really help us start unpacking all the hurt, unwinding all this big ball of misunderstanding, and help us to start dealing with our issues and to start making our marriage not about us, but about honoring our God. And listen, it changed my life. Amen. This idea, this, this truth that, that, that my marriage is supposed to be honoring of God, the way, that, the way that my wife and I get along and the way we're supposed to be in unity together changed my life. And God used it to bring salvation um, to this area of my life like he has in so many others. Amen. And redemption to this area of my life that was so messed up like so many other areas. Amen. Uh, and, and, and he saved our marriage and he brought healing to a place that I thought would never come. Where I had given up hope, he brought hope again. But that's the greatness of our God. Amen? He, he is a great Savior. And it's not just about your soul. It's your whole life that he desires to save. Amen? It's all of you. It's every aspect. It's every area of your life. It's, it's in overcoming sin. It's in helping you in your marriage. It's helping you to manage your finances. It's in helping you to know how, to, you know, how, um, uh, you know, how much love and how much concern to give your children and then when to let go. Man, it's, it's every area of your life. He desires to heal and, and save. Amen? Uh, that, that's just how great he is. But he saved our marriage. He changed my life um, that day. And it was a, it was a long time. It, it took us a while to work through it. But he saves. He redeems. He renews. He heals. Amen? That's the, that's the greatness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Okay. So I want to talk to you real quickly, though, one other, one quick aspect. You know what? We're going to have to skip that. No, nah, we can't. Let's do it. I think we've got time. Um, so... Um, I want to talk to you just this real quick thing about, about marriage, and that's this. Is that, well, let me talk to you about the Trinity first. We see in the Trinity that there's a, a constant honoring of the other members of the Trinity. Turn with me to John chapter 17 just real quickly. We're going to be reading this this week. Let's see, this, we're going to be reading this tomorrow. If, if you're going through the Gospel of John as we read through the Gospel of John in June, uh, you're going to be reading this tomorrow, so I wanted to pick this up and show it to you. So in, in uh, John chapter 17, let me show you this real quick. Listen, this is, so what's happened here is that we've had in the last couple of days, the, the disciples have had the last supper there with Jesus, and then they leave there, and then Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit, and then uh, what yesterday we read about the, the true vine, he taught about the true vine, and then today's stuff. And then in chapter 17, Jesus begins this prayer, and um, after Jesus had talked about this stuff in, in uh, chapter 16, he prayed. So he's begin praying. This is pretty fascinating stuff, isn't we have... Um, in, the, in the Trinity, we have the Son, and he's praying to the Father, and it's this really fascinating kind of look about Jesus um, as a man and God praying to his Father in heaven, which is pretty fascinating stuff if you think about it. But anyway, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Listen to what he asked him. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. You find this kind of stuff all throughout the Scriptures where amongst the members of the Trinity and the distinctness of each of them, there's a continually honoring and glorifying of the other members where the Holy Spirit is honoring and glorifying Jesus Christ and Jesus is honoring and glorifying the Father and the Father is honoring and glorifying the Son. Specifically, I think what Jesus has in mind here is that he knows what's coming. It says in John chapter 14, he knew that he had come from the Father. He knew that his time has come. He knew that he has been called to suffer and he knew that he was going to die. 
And he had in mind the resurrection here probably when he prayed, glorify your son. But look at the purpose where he says it, that your son may glorify you. There's this constant honoring between the members of the Trinity where the Holy Spirit isn't honoring himself, but he's honoring Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ isn't honoring himself, but he's honoring the Father. And the Father isn't honoring himself. He's honoring the Lord Jesus. Over and over you have this honoring amongst the three of them, honoring and, and glorifying each other in the beauty of the, of, the, of the Trinity. And you see this just constantly going on and all throughout the Scriptures. It's not the only place. Constantly throughout the Scriptures, especially you'll see it in, in uh, chapters 16 and 17 in, in, uh, in the Gospel of John but um, uh, you have this thing. So, so here we go. So in this way too, this is what our marriage is supposed to look like, where there's an honoring of the other member, right? Which means this, is that, that, that what that means is that my marriage then isn't about me if I'm only supposed to be honoring my wife. And in marriage, our marriage isn't about her either if she's always supposed to be honoring me. And, and in that way, really marriage isn't about either one of us. It's because we're both trying to reflect the image of God. We're trying to reflect the image of God. We're trying to honor him and please him with how we live and what we do. So let me, let me just ask you real quickly, how do you honor your spouse? How do you, how do you honor your wife? How do you, how do you honor your husband? Um, and and what, do we, you know, what do we do with this? Um, how, you know, how do, we, how do we honor them? Um, let me tell you real quickly, the easy thing is how not to honor them. The way not to honor your marriage, the way not to honor your spouse is to always be saying, well, this is about me. Listen, if, if you're making it about you, you're not honoring your spouse. You're not honoring your, 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 your heavenly father. If, if, it's, if the answer is always, well, I'm not getting my needs in, and I wish we would do this, and I, I wanted to do things this way, and I wish it was like this. Man, if it's not about you, if it's all about you, you're honoring yourself. There's no honor for God there. There's no honor for your spouse. But if it's about honoring your spouse because of what the Lord has done, because of, of what the Lord's done, because you want to reflect his image and your love for your spouse, that's when there's something, there's, that's when there's a big change. That's when there's a, a transition, a, a transcendence of your marriage to being something more about you. And thank God your marriage is about something more than about you. And my marriage is about something more than about me. Because otherwise, I mean, yeah, it's kind of useless, isn't it? Um, so that's the first thing. Um, the next thing is, is that, you know, if you really want to, well, yeah, in, uh, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of the, of the book of Hebrews says, marriage should be honored among you. Um, l- let me tell you real quickly, I, when, I, when I counsel people in premarital counseling, one of the things that I say is marriage is sacred. And the reason it's sacred is all the things that I've been talking about this morning is that it is unique in its reflection of the image of God. There is no other institution on the planet like it. I mean, the Lions Club doesn't have this. The Kiwanis, you know, the, the choir program, your softball, you know, whatever. Nothing is like this. There's no other institution like this on the, on the earth where you have such a, a beautiful portrayal of the unity amongst people and the differences and the distinctions among them that really reflect the image of God. Now, what do we do with this? Do I tell my kids, all? you know, do I tell my kids, hey, if you want to see God, just watch your mom and me. Now, that's, we've never said that. You know, we, we've never said that. But, but, but here's what I do tell my kids is that, you know, because of what God's done, because he's loved me so well, because he's, because he's saved me, because he's redeemed me, because he's shown me such extravagant and stubborn love, I want to honor him with my marriage. I want to love your mom well. I, I want people, whenever they see and they, if they see me treating your mom well, I want to be able to point to them and say, it's only because I've been shown that kind of love that I can give it. 
And, and, and when you, you and I do that, then our marriage becomes something much greater, something much more significant than about me and me getting my needs met. How dishonoring. How dishonoring to God it is to say, this is about me, it's not about you. Right? But to honor God by saying, no, this is about you, it's not about me. And I want to honor my wife, I want to honor my marriage by, by loving my wife well. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. Listen, it's time for me to wrap up here, and, and uh, we'll, we'll get started next week. I want to talk to you next week about some of the, the reasons that we have difficulties in our marriage and how God's provision provided through the Lord Jesus Christ redemption um, for, for what was lost and what was broken in the fall. Uh, but let me, uh, let, me just leave you with, let me just leave you with this. Um, I, I don't know where you're at in your marriage. I don't know where you are here today. I don't know how you're feeling. I don't know if you feel convicted. I don't know if you feel a little beat up by the sermon. I apologize if you are. Not really. I needed it. You, if that's where you are, you probably need it too. That's okay. Um, this is all part of God's bringing about his, his, his salvation and his redemption to broken parts in our, our lives. Um, but, uh, but in the end, um, no matter where you're, you're, you're at, you know, the great thing with God is it doesn't matter where you started. It matters where you, how, you, how you finish. It doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. So no matter where you're at in your walk, no matter where you're at in your marriage, it doesn't matter. The question is, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do in the next step? Are you going to honor God with your marriage? It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It, you know, all of that's gone and all of that's forgiven and all that's been paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Every, every day past, all of our, our mistakes, every one of those has been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is, what are you going to do now? Are you going to honor God with your marriage? Is, is, is your marriage going to be honorable or is it going to be something less than that? That's the question. That's a question for us all. God help us to have the courage to stand up and to say, I, I've not been following. I've not been doing in our marriage what, I've been, what, what I know I should be doing. I've been making it about me. I've not been making it about him. To, for us to honor God with our marriage means that we've got to kind of lay ourselves to the side, to put ourselves to the side, our wants, our desires, our needs, and say, Lord, I want to love my, my wife well. I want to love my husband well. I want my love for my wife, my love for my husband to reflect the love that I've received from you. Amen? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this teaching about in your scriptures and about how our marriages really are just supposed to be this beautiful reflection of the, of the beauty of, of, the, of the Trinity where they're, they're distinct and different people of different roles, uh, but, but all the same, all united in being, united in purpose, united in calling. Um, Lord, may our marriages be like that. And, and Lord, we know in, in some very practical ways um, we're, that's going to be a constant struggle. We, we have differences of opinion. We have different agendas. We've got different ideas. We, we grew up in different homes. And, and in some ways, that's going to be very difficult. But Lord, I pray for all of us that this would be our goal to attain, that we might honor you by always coming to, to unity through every decision through every day, through every argument, that, that we won't focus on being right, we won't focus on winning, but we would focus on coming to unity and harmony because we want to reflect your nature. Father, I thank you too that you've set this up in, in marriage, Lord God, that, that, um, that we could ha have this kind of fulfillment, that we could be one with someone else, that we'd have a companion, someone who's always there to cheer for us, someone who's always there to support us, someone who's always there to honor us, just like you do. Um, in the members of the Trinity, Lord. And, and I pray for that. I pray every person here gets to experience that in their lives, that they would be able to experience the support and the encouragement that comes um, through, through a beautiful marriage that you've created, and it was your idea. Father, I want to pray for those who are struggling in their marriages, and we all do at times. I want to pray for those who have been struggling, Lord, that you would help them 
um, to see this, to get this, and that, that you would help uh, your love for their spouse to be in their hearts for them. Lord, Lord put, put your love for their husband, put your love for their wife in their hearts that, that through you, Lord God, they might learn to love them better. Um, and help us all, Lord. We all need to love our spouses better. We need more of you in our lives. We want to honor and glorify you. So, Lord, help us, forgive us, but, Lord, help us to take that, that next step that honors and glorifies you in our marriages. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our great Savior, who redeems us in every area of our, of our lives. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You all have a great day. I hope you have a great Father's Day and uh, have a, a good day. I hope you can rest a little bit and we'll get worked up and get ready to go tomorrow for VBS. Thanks very much. Thank you.